0: we ask you to bless this time as we open your word. We ask you to show us what you would want us to see from this activity as we worship you in the word. And we thank you for this opportunity to come together in your Jesus name. Amen. Luke 18, starting at verse 15, we're going to be looking at two different ways to look toward Jesus in this section. So verse fifteen, and they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them, but when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus said unto unto him, and called them to him, and said, Suffer little children to come to me, and forbid them not; for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of, of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why call you you me good? None is good save one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, You lack one more thing, Sell all that you have and distribute it unto the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, "Here, how hardly shall they have riches? How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God." And they that heard it said, "Who then can be saved?" And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So we're going to take a look at this because this is another place where there's a two pictures that are given to us, just like the last ones, two different ways to pray. And it starts out, the people are bringing their young children to Jesus. Now, you've got to, and the disciples are trying to stop them from doing this because we have to put ourselves back in their culture and even to a degree in our culture uh, Kids, you know, back a few, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, kids were to be seen and not heard. Well, in their day, kids weren't even supposed to be seen. They knew that kids existed. The kids were supposed to stay at home, play play in the back and go to school and not interact with adults until they were old enough to behave, and especially infants. And I've seen this even in churches in today's world. Sometimes, you know, if somebody brings a baby into church, it's like, oh, how could you bring this baby? That baby might cry and make, make a nuisance of itself. And this is what the disciples are thinking. Well, we can't have these babies crying when, when Jesus is trying to teach us. What he's teaching us is so important. We can't have these babies around. Add to it the fact that the culture said don't bring the babies around. And, you know, men didn't have anything to do with babies back then at all. Much, you know, much like the 40s and 50s and earlier when men barely touched their, their infants. Uh, you know, we sang He Lives, and there was a pastor who hated the second verse in, the, in He Lives because he came from that generation where a man would not touch a baby so he could not bring himself to sing, how sweet to hold a newborn infant. Because you know, I don't think he held his kids unless he absolutely had to. And he's a nice guy, he was a wonderful man, he loved his kids, but you know, babies were for mom to take care of, in his opinion. And this is where they were in that day. But Jesus said, let them come. And then he used the babies as an illustration. He goes, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to come like a child. And what does that mean? We have to come trusting as a child. You know, when our kids are little, they trust us. You know, you say, come to me, jump to me, you know, climb up to me, whatever it might be. They trust that you're going to be able to help them if something goes wrong. And that is how we are to approach God. Now, it's kind of interesting that this put in this order, he shows the way to do it. And then he's going to go and show us how not to do it. But, you know, when we come to God, it has to be that we simply believe what the scriptures say. And, you know, it's funny when I meet with people, they think they're intellectual and everything, and they give me all the reasons why they can't believe the Bible and can't believe in God, and have all these long explanations and everything. And I listen to them, I'm going, how foolish you are to think that way in the first place. Now, that's not what I tell them. (laughs) I will actually answer their, their questions that they have but you know, I'm thinking you aren't even thinking at this point. You're just being fed something from somebody. Very rarely does most of what comes up be something that's new and unusual. Uh, and I've said this many times. Uh, I love answering questions. I've dealt with questions a lot. But you know, it's been it's very rare to have a new and unusual question being asked. It's all things that I've heard in 50 years plus of walking with God. I've heard just about everything that can be used as an excuse and everything that people will say, well, here's a contradiction, there's a contradiction. How can you believe this? You know, how could God do, you know, how could God, if God is all powerful, how, could, how can these things happen? And you know, you got all these things and you're going, well, you need to be thinking about these. You need to come as a child that says, God, I trust you. And he is somebody that is absolutely trustworthy. We as a parent, we might have accidentally missed our child when they were jumping to us. God won't miss us. He will always be there to hold us up. He will not let anything happen to us that is going to harm us. And so we need to be able to learn to be this child and just trust and follow him. And so this is what we're supposed to do. Just believe, be persuaded, and say, God, I trust you no matter what. And some of our songs brought that whole thing out. That, you know, In his time, God does things when he is ready. And he does it when it is best for us, even when we think it would have been better for us to have had it done earlier. God says, I know when the best time is. I know when it is right to do it, and I will do it in my time. Because he knows the beginning from the end. And he knows exactly when things need to happen, And and I'm one of those, I've prayed many times, God, I really wanted this yesterday. (laughs) You know, God, I want it now. (laughs) Actually, God, I want it now, but I really wanted it yesterday. And God says, no, not yet. It's not the right time yet. And he will bring it in. And then this, this man comes up to him and it says, a certain rich ruler. All right, A certain ruler, and we find out that he's rich. So this is a man that has everything. If you looked at him, you'd say, OK, here is somebody. He can buy whatever he wants. He lives in the best house. He's a ruler of the people. Everybody respects him. He's got honor. He's got position. He's got status. And he's going, what must I do to have this eternal life that you've been talking about? And it's kind of interesting the way Jesus deals with him. Now, first off, he says, "You know," because he says, good master. And he says, God, and Jesus says, "Who? why do you call me good? Who is good except God? So what's he trying to do? He said, are you calling me God by using this term? You know, and I hear this so many times, and, I, and I've said this, especially now that we're studying the book of Job on, uh, on, on, the, on the Bible study. You know, What's the biggest problem when people look at life is, why do, all, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, when we took it what Jesus says, there's no such thing as a good person in the first place. My question has always been, and I say you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because we are all sinners. Now we are when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit living in us, we have a better chance of living correctly and being better. But every one of us knows that given an opportunity, a weak moment, we will sin. And you know, anybody who tells me they haven't sinned is lying, so they're sinning already. You know, now we may do less sin as a Christian and longer we walk with God and all of that, but you know we all sin. You know, and if we take it to where Jesus says, we all sin because we think the wrong things. We may not act on it, but we think the wrong things. You know, and that's a sin as well. It is also a sin when we don't do what we are supposed to do. So all those times when we go, well I should be witnessing to this person and I don't witness in, and I don't witness to them, I have sinned. If I'm not praying for people, then I have sinned. So there's a lot of ways that we can sin without ever thinking about sinning. And Jesus tells this man, You called me good, therefore are you calling me God? And we need to keep that in mind. Now, there are people who are fairly good until you get to know them, and then you get to see how sinful they really are. But Jesus is telling them, You know, why are you calling me good? And then he gives him this very interesting statement that fits into his Jewish belief system. He goes, you know the commandments. And out of the 613 of them, Jesus gives him five. Probably the five simplest in one side. He goes, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. And honor your father and your mother. So these are five active things that he can do to say I'm a righteous man. First one, probably had not done, committed adultery, except that Jesus raised it to the level of, if you think, if you're lust after somebody, you've committed adultery, but he hasn't got there yet with him. So he's going, yeah, I've never committed adultery. He goes, okay, don't don't kill. This man probably has never killed anybody. Most of us have probably never killed anybody uh, and never actually committed adultery in many cases. Do not steal. Now that one gets a little questionable, you know, because when you start thinking about the levels of stealing, you know, stealing pens, pencils uh, from work, notebooks from work, stealing time from your employer by not working hard, there's all kinds of ways to steal. Probably hadn't kept this one, but he is the rich young ruler, so he's in charge of making others do the work, so it's possibly kept that one. Um, do not bear false witness. Now this one means don't lie probably had not kept this one perfectly but he's going to tell Jesus he's kept this one and then he says to honor your father and your mother and probably hadn't done those last two he probably had not kept even in even at the level that Jesus raised the other the other ones too so Jesus gives him what is fairly simple to say i have you know kept the kept the kept the rules Now, Jesus could have kept going because the Jews said there were 613 laws, and as I said, I never counted them. I'm going to believe that the rabbis counted them and got it right. 613 laws in the Bible, which is probably pretty close because I see them all over the place. Jesus gives them only five, and he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. All right, what is he saying? Well, since I could be held accountable, I've done all these things. He goes, I'm not counting before I was accountable because I didn't know them, so we don't count those because I was innocent then and God covers those. Now, why he believed that, I don't know, but that's what the Jews believe. That's what many Christians believe, that there's a period of time where you're not accountable for your sins because you don't know any better. I don't find that teaching anywhere in the Bible. All right? We are born sinners. We are born without hope. the very beginning and we sin because we are sinners all right so he's going okay since i was a youth since i was accountable i've kept these and you know it's kind of interesting as he said this you know because he was a self righteous person at this point he believed as every jew if he kept all the law you were going to enter into the kingdom of heaven because you number one i'm a jew so i'm going to go there and then i'm keeping the laws i'm going to go there i've offered my sacrifices to cover whatever i do violate so i'm going to go there because I am doing all these things, I deserve to go to heaven. This is the rich young ruler's attitude. And at this point, what is he expecting Jesus to say? Oh, good, I'll, we'll see you in heaven. You know, you, you've kept all the rules, you've kept all, you're, doing, you're doing real well, and you are such a righteous person, we will see you. And there's one other thing that we're going to lay upon lay this, and Jesus says, okay, you lack one thing one more thing you need to do mister rich ruler go and sell everything you have and give it away to the poor now I have had people tell me that because Jesus told this rich young ruler to do this that God wants everybody to give away all of their wealth to the poor I don't see that being the case in this when you take it in context he says follow the rules follow the rules and he says I followed all the rules and he goes okay I'm going to give you one more rule to follow. Give, you know, take and get rid of your, your wealth and give it to the poor. And it says he was sorrowful because he had much wealth. What has Jesus just done to him and said, I'm going to give you one more commandment that you're not following. You shall have no other gods before me. Who was his God? It was not God. It was his wealth. And this is something we need to be very careful of because it is so easy for any one of us to have a God that is before God. You know, where do we spend our time with, with what takes our affections and our time and our effort and our money? You know, for many people, it might be church and, and God. We come to church, we get fed, we, we witness, we share, we share Christ with others, and we spend time with God. In our day and age, we have a whole lot of things to keep us from paying attention to God. we got a whole lot of people that their God is television. They get home, the television gets clicked on, and they watch television for four or five hours when they get home until they go to bed and never once think about praying or picking up their Bible or or listening to God or sharing God with anybody. Some people, it's sports. I used to be that way almost with sports. I, I watched sports whenever they were available, especially football when I was into it could give you who the players were for all the team, you know, for all the teams, especially the ones that I loved. I knew the stats, I knew the schedules. I knew I knew who what the you know, what the standing was for all the teams and could tell you who was going to go to the playoffs and who they were going to play and what the chances are they were going to play. You know, uh, and I followed sports. Some people it's family. Everything is about family. You now, can't come to church because my family's coming. I got to take this because my family is here. And I understand that family is important, and work is important. Our hobbies are important, but they cannot take the place of God. God has to be put in his place. And what was Jesus, in my opinion, telling this rich young ruler? You have a God before God. You know, He wasn't telling everybody, okay, whoever has money, go get rid of your money, because money is so bad you can't have money. That is not what he's telling them. And we see because of his response, we know what he was telling them. Your money is your God. Go get rid of your money and then follow me. And this is important for us because we all need to look and say, what is more important to us than God? Now, hopefully God is the most important. You spend your time in his word. You spend his time in prayer. You spend his time with people. And you know one of the things that I tell people is I believe that we should tithe but not just our money. I believe we need to tithe our time. And look at your life. Are you tithing your time to God? Does God get two and a half hours out of every day from you? That's an important thing to look at. You know, that's, that should be an easy thing for us to give him. Reading, praying, worshipping, sharing, sharing the gospel, all kinds of ways that we can give him his time. But not everybody thinks about giving their time to God. And in America, we like to just say, well, God, okay, I'll give you a tithe of my income, but don't ask for my time. Don't, don't ask me for my time. I, I'm just too busy for time. Because I've got work to do, and I've got family to take care of, and I've got my hobbies to take care of, and all these other things, God, and I'm just too busy, but I'll give you my money. And we find that that's the easy way of getting taking care of God. And thing i want to say is god doesn't need our money he's he owns everything and he'll provide for everything now if you want to give your money because it's it's what you want to do give it if you don't if all you're giving to god is grudgingly without without effort don't give it to him don't give him your time don't give him your money he doesn't want anything that's not voluntarily given to him but when you're ready to give to him give him your time give him your effort give him your give him your finances you know, technically he owns everything anyway, so you're just giving back to him what, it, what he's given you to take care of. But this rich man is, goes away and he is sorrowful because he has much. His ruling is tied to his wealth. Every His, pro, his position is tied to his wealth. If he gives away his wealth, he's going to think, well, I have sacrificed everything. And what did he sacrifice? Well, he's he asked, what do I need to do to earn, have eternal life to enter into your kingdom, which is greater than anything he could have here, and he's not willing to give up what he has here to enter into the kingdom. And why? Because the stuff, his position, was his God. And so this is something we want to look at. And he went away sorrowful, and Jesus said, it is hard. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This is kind of an interesting statement. Now when he made it to the Jews, you've got to understand the way the Jews thought, if you were being blessed by God, you were rich, therefore you were going to heaven because you were rich. Because you were rich because you honored God. That was how they thought. So if you had lots of money you were going to heaven. Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize what a big shock that was to these people listening? Okay, uh, rich people go to heaven. He's telling us that rich people are, are hard to get to heaven. Okay, God, we don't understand. If it's hard for rich people to go to heaven, who is going to be able to go to heaven? Because we know that they're being blessed because they're good and they're getting all this riches because they're good and if they're good, they're going to go to heaven. And if they're being blessed and they're good and they're not going to heaven, how good do we have to be to go to heaven? Because they go back to the rich man's first statement, statement. What must I do to be saved or to, to enter in the kingdom of heaven? We need to understand the most important thing about entering into heaven is it is a gift of grace by what Jesus has done for us. This is why we go back to we need to be like that child who just says, I can't do a thing. I just need to take and hold on to the gift that God has given us. And this is what's important because the people are learning a lesson here that you can't do anything to enter into the kingdom. I can't earn my right into the kingdom of heaven. You can't earn your right into the kingdom of heaven Nobody else that we know. And when you witness to people, you hear it all the time. What do you think you have to do to get to, oh, I have to be a good person? Well, how good do you have to be? Well, you have to do more good than bad. Well, how much is that? I don't know. Well, what are you putting in? Well, I'm hoping I'm good enough. You know, and I, that, this whole statement does, is, would be the saddest way to live. Never knowing whether I have done enough Good things to outweigh the bad would be a terrible way to live. And then they go, Well, nobody can know, I can tell you absolutely you won't make it to heaven without Jesus. Because one bad thing outweighs every good thing that we can do. One bad. And and I'll ask them, have you ever done anything wrong, any sin before God? Every once in a while i hear somebody know I'm a good person and go, Oh, you've never told a lie, you've never cheated, you've never you never stole anything. Uh, Well, yeah, a couple things. They go, one bad thing is all it needs to be to outweigh all your good. Well, it was only a small thing. One bad thing is all it takes to to outweigh all the good. And then bring in the fact that it is Jesus' blood shed on the cross of Calvary that gives us the forgiveness of our sins so that we can enter into heaven. And we need to really understand that this rich man this rich young ruler was looking for just give me the list of things that i have to do and then i will i will keep them so i can go to heaven unfortunately i've met lots of christians who want give me the list of things i've got to do so that i can please god all right i can give you the list that you're not going to want to hear be crucified with christ let your let your flesh be crucified with christ be totally surrendered to god and let him be your Lord and Savior, and do everything that he wants you to do, with no exception. You can't live that way. So what do we do? We go. I am going to take the blood of Christ. He is going to put His blood over my over my over my being, and I am going to be covered with the righteousness of Christ because of what He did on the cross, and I will now be perfect before God. I was watching a video yesterday about uh, missionaries going to this African tribe and. It's kind of an interesting character, but I'm just going to tell you because this character was was very. He made, made this big this big word picture. He put mud all over his body, and he goes, "I'm dirty." And then he goes, and he took his shirt and he goes, "I put this shirt on just like I put Jesus Christ on, and you cannot see my the, my dirty body anymore because I am now clean in Christ." And literally, that is what Paul says that we are to put on Christ. So that any sin that is there is covered by Jesus. And even better because it, you know, it breaks down there, but he took our sin and put it in as far as the east is from the west so God doesn't even find it and we can't find it. He took sin away and says now all you need to do is be, have the righteousness of Christ be on you and you will enter into kingdom of heaven. It is beautiful how easy and simple it is. It doesn't depend on anything that we do once we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. He clothes us in righteousness, and we get to walk with him. I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. You don't have to keep your salvation by doing all these good things and stuff because, because if you do enough bad, you'll lose it because Jesus put all sin under the blood of Christ. And as soon as we put on the righteousness of Christ, we are seen as Christ by the Father. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to do this. This is why Jesus said, when they said, Well, who can be saved? And if the rich aren't going to be saved, he said, With men, all things which are impossible with men are possible with God. God can do all things. He provides for all things. He owns all things. He knows all things. He is all powerful and he knows the future. So he knows just what to do. And he says that you think it's the rich person who's earning their way into heaven. But with God, it's a gift. It is the gift of salvation. And we need to fully understand that because that will change the way we think about God. I have met so many people, they are so afraid of God. Why? Because they see him as a big meanie up there waiting for them to do something wrong so he can hit them over the head with a club. Or throw a lightning bolt, however you want to picture it. Now, that is not what God wants. For God so loved the world. You know, Not only the world before they're saved, but the world after you're saved, he loves you still. And he loves you just as much as he did before you were saved. Jesus died for our sins so that we could go to heaven and he's not going to say, well, now you don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it in the first place. This is what grace is all about. We get the gift of of God because of his grace. And we need to really understand that there is an acronym we've given before and it's really an easy one for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. All right. We get all of God's riches because Jesus took our sin. Now, it's much more deeper than that acronym, but it's a good way to think of it. We get everything that God is going to give us because of what Jesus did on the cross and the pain that he suffered. He was our propitiation, which means he took all the anger that God had towards sin and took it upon himself. All the anger of sin. All the punishment of sin went on Jesus. There is only one sin left that sends people to hell, and that is to reject the gift of Jesus Christ. Because our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, according to Isaiah. So the unsaved, when they stand before God, are going to stand in their good works, which they think are going to get them into heaven. And God says, all that stuff that you think is good enough to get you into heaven is just a bunch of filthy rags. And they will be cast out from his presence. We as Christians will go before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and he says, Okay, welcome. You are you are welcome because you have the right, you you are dressed right. You come to the most exclusive party there is. There is a dress code for getting into heaven. And that is rearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not my own righteousness, not all the things that I can do, but what God does. And this is what Jesus says is impossible with men, but it is possible with God. God. And we need to be able to understand two ways to approach Him. And the world is going to try to approach Him in their goodness and their, you know, just let me get up there and I'll show God how good and that I deserve this. I deserve heaven because I've been a pretty good person. I gave away billions of dollars to the poor. I I fed these people. I built homes. I I didn't cheat. I didn't do these things. And I was a very good person. And God's going to say, you're not perfect. Therefore you failed. And unfortunately, there's going to be so many Christians that appear before God and say, Well, yes, I believed in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but look at all these good things that I did. I expect lots and lots of rewards. And he goes, You did it all in your flesh, they're all, they're all worthless. It is what we let God do through us that we're going to be rewarded for. Again, grace. The more we understand what grace is all about, the better off we're going to be. I'm not sitting here trying to earn God. I don't come to church so I can earn God. I don't study the Bible so I can earn His pleasure. I don't witness to people so I can earn His pleasure. I'm not nice to people so I can earn His pleasure. Now, there are good things, and there are great rewards for all of those things. All right? There's great reward in being obedient to God and following His rules. You know, If you haven't gotten drunk, and you haven't wrecked your car, and done stupid things while you are drunk, and injured your body terribly, and then in, in so much pain at the end of your life because of all the... All the stupid things you did while you weren't obeying God, it's a wonderful thing. If you didn't fry your brains on the drugs over over your early years and then wonder why your brain doesn't work when you're older, it's a wonderful thing to keep keep his word. There's great benefit in obeying his words, but it doesn't please God in heaven just because we did it. There's just the reward of a good life. And we need to be able to understand, we are going to go to heaven because of his grace. It doesn't matter what we have done in the past. We've come to him, we said, God, I am a sinner that deserves hell. I accept your sacrifice, and and then we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ from that point on. And we're going, thank you. Now people go, well, that means you're telling everybody they can do whatever they want. Well, if you have Jesus Christ in you, and you get the Holy Spirit in you, you're not going to do what you want to do because he's going to convict you every time you do what's wrong. We sang the song, greater is he that is in you, he's greater than you. He's not greater this than everything else outside you, he is greater than you. When you want to sin, you know, and I know when I, if I choose to try to sin, I get this noise all in the back of my head saying, don't do this, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, don't do this, don't do this. I cannot sin without being convicted of that I'm sinning. If I do sin, I'm really convicted of the sin until I repent. You cannot go out and be choosing to sin and be a Christian and say, I'm just, I feel no, no conviction or anything. Then I'm going to say, you need to look at your life with God. Are you, really sin- are you really his? If you can sin without having conviction in your life, then you're going to have to really take a look at your life and say, am I belonging to God? I cannot sin without, you know, I'm not saying I can't sin, I cannot sin without the conviction. When I sin, God convicts me. When I think about sinning, he convicts me. Doesn't mean I can't, it just means that I will be miserable while I'm sinning. If you can sin without that conviction, without that misery, then you're going to have to say, do I really know God? Because this is what Jesus is saying, with God all things are possible. He can bring this about for us. And so here we have the two pictures. And which one are you, are you part of? Are you part of the child who just believes God because you have that faith and trust in Him? Or are you one that's trying to find a way to please God and just give me, give me the 10 steps to go to heaven? Because you know, you know, we've got books all over the place. Give us the five steps to success, the five steps to successfully selling your house, the 10 steps to, to, to wealth, you know, whatever it is. That's the way we think. All right, God, just give me the you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 steps to get to heaven, and I will keep those, keep those things. And God says there's one. Humble yourself and trust him. And that's not what we want to hear in most cases in our flesh. Our flesh likes to say, I earned it, I did it. Because we have pride. And pride was the downfall of Lucifer, who then became Satan, and then led humanity into sin and it is all pride and even his first temptation was in pride you know God knows that the day you eat of that fruit you will be like God knowing good and evil don't you want to be like God don't you want to let your pride be lifted up and we've had a problem with pride every ever since all sin basically is in the, in the, in the field of pride I'm going to do what makes me feel good I'm going to do what makes me me happy, or you know, and I could go the other way. I'm going to do whatever Everything makes me look righteous, or whatever. But it all boils down to pride, and this is the problem. This young, rich, young ruler was proud of his wealth. He did not want to let go. How are we going to live? And I know the testimony of most everybody in here, and I'm sure that you know that we're where we want to be. But if you're not, today is the day to make it right with God. For those that are li- listening online, I hope today that the, the day they listen to this, that they're going to make it right with God and say, "I am a sinner. I need Jesus, because I cannot do it. I've been living by pride." So this is where we're going to be today. You know, looking at two different ways to approach Him. We need to approach Him as a child, not as a, not not with great wealth. Lord, we ask you to be with us today. Lord, if there's anybody that hears this message that doesn't know you, that we ask that they will become your child that they will admit that I am a sinner and I am in need of Christ and that they will follow you from that point on as Lord and Savior and master and trust in you and all that they do and we thank you in Jesus name amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of Jesus it will be an eternity in hell without God good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast to spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.